Mr. Finley, it's been a while between episodes. It has, Mr. Finley. How you doing, sir? I'm all right. Uh, I should address something. Did you know that when we covered Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, we attributed the role of the daughter to Anne-Margaret? Did we? That's not Anne-Margaret. It's not? Not even close. Okay. It's actually Catherine Hepburn's um, niece, I want to say. Oh, all right. What was her name? Do you remember? Something Houghton, Catherine Houghton. Catherine Houghton. Yeah, also a Catherine. Yeah, okay. I just thought it was kind of interesting. All, All these, right. I mean, we can go, it's like you and I love movies so much, but we can get so much wrong. <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt that we don't genuinely research almost anything. So hmm. give it a little bit of eye, you know, give it a little bit of the eyeball looking, but uh, yeah. And then we're also old and forget things. Huh. Well, let me tell you something. That uh, Catherine Houghton lady, she's a. She's quite the bee's knees. So you came, you came up with um, this idea for Claude Rains, and uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was um, Claude Rains. I almost said Claude Aikens. Um, <laughs> that's a different. That's a different uh, podcast, right there. Yeah. Uh, so, I, but um, I thought it remarkable the movies you chose at first because the thing about Claude Rains is he's the perennial. Um, co-star the, the yep. perennial mm-hmm. and you you didn't choose the one he's most famous for and started like the invisible man like, like that's classically what he's known for now mm-hmm. having said that i'd love to go back after this episode and, and do an invisible man episode on patreon or something like sure okay because like, you got me all buzzed up for the claude rains and, and the way he operates in movies which is kind of fascinating when you think about it yeah okay yeah I was, so so, so but, but you're absolutely right i mean he's perennially uh, so, you know perennially uh, the bridesmaid here right yeah, for sure. For sure. And I was trying to find something that was, well, that's the thing about it. Yeah, I really was trying to think where like he was sort of a force into it. And I had heard about uh, the first movie we're going to talk about yep. and thought, uh, and thought, frankly, he was a larger force. I mean, the damn movie's named after his character. So I figured it was going to be uh, his, his vehicle. Turns out uh, it was Benny Davis's vehicle and he was basically the co-star. So I'm a little, bu- I, I thought I'd found a movie he'd starred in and really wasn't paying attention to the invisible man, to be honest. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I understand because for some reason, reason after the invisible man it never really caught fire for him to that degree there's a little bit of george raftism but to a more extreme degree i'd say yeah and the thing about it is this like he here's the thing about claude rains he looms big in my head as far as you know his impact i think he's the john cazal of like that time period you know like like I think he's a tremendous actor who's been in some really great stuff. Somehow I thought there would be more star vehicles with this guy in it, and it really, really didn't occur to me that he was always, he was you know like Gazal always going to be you know running around the co-star. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I, I, I never thought of that comparison. Gazal um, is. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if there's any indication that he ever wanted to be anything else because I was in five movies total. So, so there is that difference, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a difference of cancer, I suppose. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, and, and a lot of years to, to have the option to get in front of a camera, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so Claude Rains, um, you know, what do we know him from? I think the first thing either of us really know him from is, is as Reynaud in Casablanca. Casablanca, yes. Um, and he's such a, he's such a, you take his, his character for granted in that movie, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, Passage to Marseille. Right, Passage to Marseille for sure. Um, 
also now Voyager. He was, now Voyager. Also thinking of Notorious. Mm-hmm. But the thing with him is, it's not to me terribly important whether he's a likable character or not, a good or a bad character. What he always does is like um, at least he's a foil in order to um, cast illuminate another character around him, right? Or to give, I guess, kind of like bookend or narrative information. Right. I mean, sure. I'm, but but it's like that that doesn't say that doesn't really cover how great he is, because on, you know, like his 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 um, resume is kind of bland in that sense. If, if, if we're talking about a resume in terms of what how he functions. Yeah. But I mean, I guess to some degree, it's like like um, here's a comparison that's less good than Kazal. Um, Ned Beatty probably is worth $50 million just for doing that so well for so many years. Right, right, right. Um, Peter Lorre, maybe, would be another. Yeah, I suppose Another so. person who's like just has the ability to sort of, sort of shine the light back at the, uh, at, the, at the lead. Less dynamic than Ned Beatty or Claude Rains, I would say. Peter Lorre is just like the creepy. Uh, he's always like makes someone around him look better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, but, but also like the choices he makes, like yeah. in, the same, in the same sense. But Claude Rains is the sort of the charming version of it. The funny thing is, is there's a certain sense in which you could go to any one of his more classic roles, say Renault in uh, Casablanca, yeah. and you could say like you've, so, you've sort of seen his toolbox if you've seen that movie. Yeah. But, but there's kind of more to what he gets out of that toolbox that you, see, that, that you find throughout his career. I don't know how else to say that. Does that make any sense? Uh, yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, it, and I, I don't think I really um, was in, in love with him before this. I mean, I, I always hmm. appreciated him, mm-hmm. and if he brought him up, but I would never bring him up on my own. Oh, really? I love, I've, yeah, I love, he's been one of my favorite character actors since, since for, since I was, since I was little. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Largely based on Louis, of course, you know, Renault. Oh yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, so I, so then your choices, first of all, I've never heard of the first one, which is 1944's Mr. Skeffington. Apparently it's like one of his, it's, it's like one of his more famous movies, you know? Right, right. And as I said, I, I sort of, uh, I sort of blindly assumed having seen the name and read a little bit about it, that he was the star of the movie. Turns out the star is actually Betty Davis. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I mean, he got the. Uh, they both got the um, Academy Award nomination. She for Best Actress and he for Best Supporting Actor. And, mm-hmm. and I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. And in, in terms of the time on the film, he disappears for in total probably about a quarter of the film. But yeah. I think he functions as a co-star, not like as a, as a supporting uh, co- uh, supporting star in this one. I would give him more credit for star power in this one than I have in a lot of other things. Right. Right. Um, for sure. And I think. Well, we could talk about the film, but my overall impression is that he's he is and the better actor of the two in this film because I like her a lot. We yep. called her the Meryl Streep of of like the classic movies, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, but I find, um, well, I don't know. Let me with, just I, go ahead. I, I think this has a lot to do with, frankly, the writing of the film because uh, okay. Betty Davis's character is like a cartoon of mm-hmm. yeah. of a certain type of woman. Yeah, um, uh, you know, of a certain very heavy sort of stereotype to one, which is which is frankly shallow, uh, vain, vain as fuck, and utterly obsessed with with herself essentially. 
Well, essentially I would argue, narcissistic. I would argue with part of that um, because the character that Betty Davis um, inhabits is is the whole the thing that sets off the whole story is that she's sacrificing herself for somebody else. Right. So it's actually you're not wrong and you're not right in a sense. Like she, mm, yeah. You know, I well, get what you're saying though. And she also has, uh, and also I would say this, like uh, her uh, that her her character uh, who seems to exhibit all these awful traits is the most charming version of all of that as well like she does have a nice heart her, you know her heart it, where it, her heart where it is a parent is sort of in the right place um but uh she's just um this know. is going to be fun because every time you say something I, I disagree with you but only to a slight degree right i, I think her heart is it, it's revealed the exposition is that she doesn't really have a heart it's like it's that you know and, and in a way it's sort of a meta thing because if if one, and I think one of the layers is the sort of like um, the woman who's de- who's dependent on her own looks to sort of move around to, to climb socially. Right. In a way, it kind of works on us too because we're surprised to find out like, oh, I thought she had a heart, and then when you review yourself in the film, it's like, no, she actually never had a heart. <laughs> yeah. I just thought she, I, I just went along with the thing that she was the good-looking woman. Right. Which, by the way, I also want to say this, as much as I love Betty Davis, I do not understand <laughs> how she was cast as this woman who's just so remarkably good-looking that, uh, that no yeah. one can help but fall for her. Yeah. I think she's amazing. I, yeah. I mean, the, the only movie I've ever seen her in in which I thought she was very, very alike uh, I would. I had the hots for. Her, I guess would be would be petrified forest. Oh, I thought you were going to say whatever happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> well, that too. I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah. I. But uh, let me just start from the from the yeah. end here. Yeah. I, By the way, I have to agree one hundred percent. I do I, just before you get going. Yeah. That, I just like it's like. Come on, they couldn't have done any better than this. Like it's ridiculous. Like, Dietrich, where is she? Come I on. was thinking of Jean, Jean Tierney yeah. or Hedy Hedy Lamar. Oh, Hedley. Or Hedley, Hedley. Um, But, you know, maybe they just didn't have the acting chops. But that's the other problem, too, is that um, I don't know whether she acted well in this or not because there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with the film. Actually, let me start here. Let me start from the end. Uh, I love this movie. Okay. And I have no, I, I can't really convince myself as, as to why I love this movie. It's of the home from the hill um, melodrama mm. quality about it. And it's like, because really the, um, the direction is um, only functional. I can't really see anything amazing mm. about the direction. The story is a good one. If, if you like the kind of story I tend to like, and I think you do too, and that's like naturalist writers of the Theodore Dreiser type, you know, like right, right. the epic sort of social Yeah, this commentary. really is a Dreiser, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, but things, I mean, and it could be a function of HD now, watching something from 1944, <laughs> Um, as they age, the makeup is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, is that, is that duct tape on that wig? I can't quite figure it out. Right. Um, she, she decides to take this approach where it's like, she sounds like Billy Burke from the wizard of Oz in, in her delivery of everything. So it's, you don't really get the impression. I almost had to look past her voice in the beginning to sort of figure out why that high pitched, you know, Cupid doll voice. Mm-hmm. It's only grating. And so in a weird way, even though he's the lesser star, Claude Rains for a long time in this film sort of pulls everything together. That's, that's almost not going to work for me and somehow does. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think, you know, my, my take on um, her character is that again, it's almost, it's, it's sort of a cartoonish version yeah. of a particular type of a woman. And you're right in that sense that, that Claude Rains grounds it. Like there's actually a human being on screen for long periods of time and it's him being, let's be honest, a little cartoonishly decent. That's, 
yeah. kind of what his character is. I mean, I wonder if in a way what it speaks to in someone like you and I is that propensity to, to um, for martyrdom in our own sense. Like, I kept throwing myself at this woman who kept treating me like shit. It's like everyone else in the world goes like, yeah, you're an idiot. But we're like, finally, a film has captured what it's like. <laughs> in my incel life over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. You know, Claude Rains really is the makings of incel, you know, from 1944. Yeah. Right, right, right. Except he's rich and actually a person. That's the difference. Yeah, and it's got all these sort of co-stars or, or lesser stars, like seventh build stars in this film. You've seen it in a million films, and mm-hmm. and they're making it function. The uh, yeah, and it smell it spells like studio. It's very much a studio film in uh. so, in some ways. Uh, the way a lot of like Olivia <laughs> de Havilland films were. Mm-hmm. Um, it's well put together. It's just sopping the right kind of melodrama, I guess, to hook me in. Um, it also does this other thing, too, where it doesn't just buy into the melodrama and stay in there. It also has a little bit of, there's some comeuppance, there's some realism that comes in. It's kind of, it's just, yeah, it's, it's not, this movie is interesting because I don't know that it's, ne- it's neither sort of fish nor fowl in a sense. Yeah. It's not just a melodrama. It's not just this. It's not just that. It's also, there's even a period piece element to it, right? Like, as you said, yeah. time, go, time marches on. Yeah. And I would, I would point out by the end, it looks like Betty Davis has gills. Uh, yeah, it's- <laughs> the makeup is a it's little, It brings a us rough. into the modern time of World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as as a plot point, which I guess is not worth giving away, but it's in it's the most ridiculous part of a movie that has a lot of ridiculous aspects to it. When, yeah, when Claude Rains his thing is, is this one of those movies that that shouldn't work but works? That's how I feel about it. I mean, yeah. it's just like I would be embarrassed showing it to someone else. Like I really like this movie, but I definitely would watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it has elements that uh, I mean. There are some things that wouldn't work today, but for surprising reasons, you know, uh, a rich man divorces a woman, a beautiful woman, and in the film, a big deal is made of the fact that he very generously and did not have to give you half, and it's like, oh boy, have times changed? <laughs> what rich guy wouldn't give away have to give away two thirds oh, of that, of the that good. fortune? Um, you mean the good old days, Jeff? I guess, yeah, the good old days. Um, you know, there's lots of little sort of. Uh, Picking any dolls, you know, given as gifts and this and that. Yeah. Um, okay, what are you going to do? But but uh, um, the, the, there is something, despite the fact that I like it, that's a little hollow. Hmm. And I don't know where to attach that word, whether it's to the story or the production. But it just sort of feels like along the way, maybe the directing, it got lost a couple of times and had to be cobbled back together. Like, I, from what I've read, um, even though I never did research according to Tom, the, uh, the adaptation of this book is way off. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's it, you know, people say, I like the movie despite the fact that it ruined the book. <laughs> um, and so uh, I'm interested in, in that because there's a, there's a feeling I have that there were writers writing as they went along. And there are some mm. movies that you can sort of tell that that's happening. Well, i got to be honest. I think the ending, which is, uh, you know, where it all sort of comes together and, mm. and is, the re- you know, the redemptive argument, it felt a little rushed to me. Yeah. In fact, quite a bit rushed, to be, be honest with you. It felt like they could have taken more time with that and, part of it. And what about that joke at the end? Which one? About Claude Rain's condition. Oh. He, he could not see. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a little classless. Yeah, that would. Well, it was triggering for me. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, th- I would say that's. Uh, yeah, the ending, the ending feels rushed to yeah, me. Yeah, for that, sure. That, that may, maybe that's part of the hollowness you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, well, well, maybe it's part of this, too. And this could just be the male viewer. Um, I want her to learn a lesson. 
and either or or to totally not learn a lesson like right. well, either one of those things can be great but neither one of those things exactly happened right 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 and and there are also sort of like um uh uh uh, uh idioms or, or that's not the right word but like um the the, the repeated phrase a woman is beautiful only one she is truly loved mm-hmm. it's sort of like but i don't know how that precisely fits into anything except the end right um, yeah, I, but you know what else about the movie? I'm going to say this for being melodramatic. It had moments where it was also really consciously funny. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Some good moments in there. And also, you know, I point out this movie was also pretty, it was reasonably controversial in its day. I mean, How for, so? uh, well, for a number of things. One, for, uh, you know, this round heeled woman, like this woman who had multiple men that she kept on a string. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was controversial from that standpoint. Also, the fact that Mr. Skeffington, uh, Claude Rains, his character was a Jew, and that was definitely a plot point that came up a couple of times in there. I think, but in, you know, for obvious reasons, between like that, the 1944, and then I'm thinking of like Gregory Peck and, uh, what the fuck is that film with John Garfield where he he tackles anti-Semitism? But anyway, that, like that sort of flashed through Hollywood for a while, and then immediately just sort of <laughs> left. They never stuck with it yeah. or, or did anything about it. Um, I thought like there were some good. The first half of the film had much better, what I would say, like almost like literary devices in motion. One yeah. of my favorite things is is she's on a honeymoon with Mr. Skeffington, Claude Rains. And there's some sort of deal where there's a, a, a like a mariachi band that will, will go up and play for any couple they can see is totally in love. Uh-huh. And they, they walk up to Betty Davis and, and, and Claude Rains and the leader just shakes his head and they move on like, <laughs> not these guys. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's kind of cute, I right, guess. Right. I don't know what's the writing direction, but I, I, I would give it um, a set. In terms of my liking it, I'd give it a, an eight and a half. Uh-huh. In terms of what kind of movie I think it is, I'd probably give it a six or a seven, but it just sort of falls in that area. And I want to say the director directed a movie that's very much like that for me, and that is All Through the Night. Okay. He also directed, and I don't read, so this is just something I got intuitively, but he not only directed All Through the Night, but he was the, the guy who took over direction for Walter Houston in Across the Pacific. Oh, far out. Okay. Yeah, a little trivia. Nice. Yeah. Well played. Although I can't remember the guy's name, so I kind of... that. Air out of the tire on that one, yeah, but right. look it up, folks. It's the part where you like cruised over on Wikipedia page. It's fine. Yeah, no, I got it from uh, IMDb, which is just as, as, as worthless. I guess. Oh, sorry, you're redeemed, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, it's worthless. But um, okay, so yeah, I would I, give it a. Oh, it's it's I, I long. Can't just, I can't, uh, it is a little bit long. Yeah, I can't disagree with it. I would I would sort of fall into the same category. Yeah. Uh, it's a much more enjoyable movie than it has any right to be. Yeah, uh, and it's a more enjoyable movie than it is a good movie. Oh, and so totally recommend. And um, from what I read on the back of a Cheerios box, um, the U.S. version is uh, shorter than the European release for really? reasons I'm I can't quite fathom. I huh. it wouldn't. I mean, I would assume immediately be something with a Jewish, but right. it didn't really. That doesn't figure in that equation somehow. <laughs> anyway, on okay. to our next film. All right, continuing on the Claude Rains thing. Let me go uh, really quickly. I just want to ask you this uh, right up top. Uh, the next film, uh, did you like it? You? I mean, um, yeah, I liked it okay. Okay. I, it's, I have like a tepid. Because I think it's like, like the night, it was a night, it's 1960, right? 1960, yeah. Yeah, uh, the 1960s, the, uh, the Lost World. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, I think it's like basically 1960s version of a Marvel movie. 
Well, I mean, it, probably traceable is how um, much Spielberg took, obviously, the Lost World itself, but also, like, I would say Indiana Jones, like the second one, The Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. it has a lot of that sort of quality about right. it. Right, well... Um, it's Irwin Allen, and and it's sort of weird because this is his practice material. Irwin Allen did those again. I just know this from DNA. Um, Irwin Allen, uh, I'll never give up, is the guy who did the Poseidon Adventure and did the Towering Inferno. So like he came into movies that I think are actually pretty good huh? for their genre, and I guess he did it by. I mean, the problem here is that it's better than a, a Fred a Sears movie. And the problem is that it's better than a Fred Sears movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Because okay. you can't default to like, like a crazy puppet bird. <laughs> so you can't like have fun in that way. You right. have to take it serious because it's taking itself more seriously. It's definitely taking itself very seriously. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, there are some things about these films where it's like, you got to let some things go, but some things could easily be worked out that just weren't, aren't paid attention to in films like this that I can't quite wrap my head around. Uh. Um, but anyway, so Claude Rains is, again, not really the star, but I would say he's more prominent because he's the most famous person in this film. Is right. he not? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I like to point out, I think, honestly, the best actor in the entire movie, too. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple of the lizards were good, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting, like, that, that <laughs> it's based on a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, book. Um, it's, uh, it suffers from almost... It, like almost this, a lot of the cliches that you that that um, science fiction out of the fifties and sixties suffers from. Yeah, a lot specifically around the way women characters are portrayed. There's a woman character in this movie that is completely ridiculous. Uh, Two women characters who are, who are ridiculous. Oh yeah, well yeah for sure. But one of them is dressed in chiffon pink in the middle of the jungle. I don't think that's a gender thing because all the guys are wearing like seer, like white seersucker suits in the jungle too. So like uh, it's kind of ridiculous all around. I I had that thought too because it's yeah. like you know this woman is supposed to go on this adventure in the lost world, which we'll explain in a minute. And and it's sort of like oh come on she's in like silk pajamas in the middle of the night grabbing yeah. a hunting gun but it's like all the guys except for Claude <laughs> Rains are kind of the same way yeah uh, they're all really weird stock characters but I'm talking about like I, this is just to me it's like I don't understand it like there's a they find a cave woman I'll go back we'll go back to the story but okay. they find like a well not a cave like the lost city of El Dorado slash dinosaur land. They find a woman who's uh, of whatever. An indigenous person. Okay. <laughs> She's indigenous. Who has bangs. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> how that's over, that type of thing's overlooked. It's not a small detail. That's true. Which I mean, she might as well have a beehive. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> she does have, uh, yeah, that in a sleeky outfit, of course. Yeah, all kind of preceding uh, Raquel Walsh and was it 1 billion BC? Barbarella. Well, no, you're thinking of Jane Fonda uh, and Barbarella. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the future. Yeah, what is the name of that? I don't, I don't know. I've never seen it. So. Yeah. So uh, it's, the, it's the poster, the last poster that Andy Dufresne uses in The Shawshank Redemption to cover the whole. Right. Um, okay, so um, look, Claude Rains is, is having the most fun because in a way... He's almost the most ridiculous, yeah. and yet almost the most believable simultaneously. Right. He's a cranky old uh, eccentric. Uh, yeah, I, not geology, uh, zoology. Zoologist. Yeah. He's, Do you mean to tell me, sir, that the testimony of a zoologist is relevant here in <laughs> Hillsborough, Tennessee? I, I, I do. I do have to ask. Like, what's like? 
on a scale of brilliance, like where does a zoologist even come in on that? Like I'm too dumb to know. What, what, how, uh, like 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 a like a brilliant physicist, I think. I, that makes sense to me. <laughs> really, a zoologist. I, I don't even know what the, how that qualifies. I don't even know what a phyla is. I don't. I, honestly, I, I, I have to look it up again. But but he he's bearded. Uh, it's uh, red haired. It's such a bad beard that it kind of looks like his beard. <laughs> yeah. but that's an old trick. Do you remember Meathead uh, from All in the Family? Yeah. That um, he was completely bald. But, All right. But they made his hair so awful. So that people would say, well, that can't be a toupee. Nobody would wear that. <laughs> that's how Norman Lear got around that. And I think that's what Claude right. Rains is doing in this. Nah. But it, it's in some ways, it starts the same way as, as Richard Attenborough in uh, Jurassic Park. I mean, he doesn't, uh, uh, Claude Rains doesn't have a park full of, of dinosaurs, but he's found one and he needs funding for an exp- expedition. Right. And I don't. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him, sir. <laughs> the whole conference he initially oh. attends. The whole <laughs> conference he initially attends. Joseph just hit puberty. <laughs> when it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. Um, I don't. I don't really. It, it was. It looked like half like Parliament. Like British <laughs> and ha- right. like people were just shouting things out and joining forces. And Is that how that happens? There's a reporter that's somehow in on the whole thing, but but that's that ridiculousness of the group that arrives to go seek the the lost world. Mm-hmm. It's so almost eclipsed by the two Mexicans, particularly one guides, and one of the Mexicans <gasps> is coming for me. Either crazy, yeah. like minority uh, fearful, or very boldly rapey. He's right, one of right. the other movie. <laughs> Bully rapey. Okay, and yeah, and then the, just the like the coward. Like the other one was just just like you might as well have been wearing a lion costume in the jungle there. Just a coward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was beautiful. So it's a lot about. I mean, that's that's the lost world part of like the Spielberg thing. I would say, but the thing about like the Temple of Doom is like how you can run, and maybe that's the Marvel thing you're getting. How you just sort of run into people who have these <laughs> crazy different um, archetypes. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just talking about it in the Marvel in the sense that it's not a great it's not great movie making at all. It's the technology of the day being put, you know, putting together something that you can eat popcorn and sit in front of. Yeah, I guess so. Basically. I, in fact, I thought that I had that very thought, not that very thought, but the thought while I was watching it of Huh, well, we know people who were let's say young or teenagers in 1960 and I was thinking about, huh, I really tried to imagine like going into the movie and watching this and you know, to what degree were you, did you suspend disbelief? Because, by the way, this is not like Fred Sears. It's not ridiculous like um, uh, paper plates on a wire for a flying saucer. Right. Um, they do a much better job, but it still is essentially a lizard from a pet store blown up. and, and <laughs> just, shot from, just shot from underneath its snout, basically. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I give it credit for trying, um, but I wonder how much it, it was. Could you be scared at this movie in 1960? I, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's one of yeah. those things that's kind of an imponderable to me. Yeah. But then, like some things, you know. But then, but then I reflect on some things that I love from being when I was a kid, you know, th- things that scared me or or affected me one way or the other, and they don't have nearly the same impact now, just because you know, right? Uh, just because I'm, I'm I'm old. No, I mean you. Plus, you and I were um, old at eight, right? Yeah, there's that. Yeah. So it's like, why why is Tommy crying? Well, he's watching that championship season again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Stacey Keish. The Bruce word again Durr. becomes sadder the, mo- the more you know about that movie. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Stacy Keish's finest moment. I mean, this movie almost belongs kind of. Um, 
in the the uh, the category of movies you watch to educate yourself about where we were in the culture cinematically. So it's like, I mean, I feel the same way. I enjoy Creature of the Black from the Black Lagoon, and uh-huh. I enjoy them. And I would say this probably is kind of on that level. Although I don't for for whatever. I guess a few reasons I didn't enjoy it quite as much as I enjoy those other two movies. Do, would you rank it above or below them? Oh, the movie Them? Uh, now, uh, putting aside your own nostalgia for whatever situation you were in, just as a, as a viewer, as a, a cinephile, a cinephile. I would, I would put it below. I yeah, would, I would yeah. too. Yeah. Why? Well, that, okay, so you <laughs> take the I movie Them you. is, um, well, first off, it's shorter and more to, it's got its own point. And it's, bo- it gets may, to that point. May I correct you, but for a good reason? They're both the same length. Really? Yeah, That's I think this one's four minutes longer or well, something. It, but it's kind of going every which way. And again, it's also based on a novel, so it's following a number of threads there, but it doesn't quite f- finish any of those out. All right, that makes sense. I think that's part of it. So there's a part of it that feels sort of like eh, rushed and incomplete, and I think that's just the nature of that kind of movie. Yeah. Whereas take the movie Them, I think that uh, that movie, like it just holds together as a singular unit. It's, it was written to do exactly what it did and get out of the park. Maybe. I think that makes yeah. it a better movie. It, it, it feels like a more complete movie, put it that way. I think I might be saying the same thing, but here, here's how I would put it. Them tries for less and accomplishes it. And this one tries for more and fails more glaringly when it does. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Is I think that's that that basically the same thing. Part of the, yeah. Just said better. That's all. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> because it was, it came from the DNA. <gasps> I never read anything about this, but I will say <laughs> that, uh, yeah. So, um, and also it's sort of like, it's like Peter Lorre, let's say, in, um, not just Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, but also when he did he teamed up with Vincent Price in the '60s to do like a couple of like mm-hmm. weirdo horror movies. The Black Cat. It's like you kind of got to go. Ah, he's good for you. <laughs> good for you, Claude Rains. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Well, fun. It, I did. Definitely that particular parallel came to me at the time because it did remind me a lot of Peter Laurie and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because it's, it's, again, it's a lot of that. It's, there's, there's, well, there's a lot of parallels there, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. 20,000 Leagues is a better movie, I would say, though. Anyway, but it, oh, was, yeah. but it was fun to watch Claude Rains have fun and be fun. Let's put it that way. That's I think he's the best thing in the movie. Sorry to keep doing this, but 20,000 Leagues... Yeah, it is a better movie, but it does it fails in some of the same spots, the same types of things. Sure, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. By the way, it's what do what Kirk do, Douglas in it? Come on, dancing and singing. I saw. Um, <laughs> God damn it, tr- uh, Trumbo! Finally, have you seen that? So, so what? Trumbo the the. Oh, Trumbo! No, not yet. It's very good. It's on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, and whoever they got to to play a young Kirk Douglas, sort of mer- making his way as an actor and producer. Uh, you know, all of the Spartacus connection. Trumbo sure, sure. Uh, uh, did a really good job. Hmm. Okay, I'll take a look. Yeah, there's okay. some people who, who you know, those those biopics. It's interesting because some people are are uh, Steve, the guy who played Steve McQueen. Right. He's from Band of Brothers in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times you're like, this guy looks nothing like him, but he's such a good actor, you sort of disappear into it. Anyway, I don't know why I mentioned that. Did but, you ever see? Uh, did you ever see uh, Hitchcock? Uh, no. With uh, I have what's not. his name? Uh, yeah, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Any Anthony good? Hopkins. Here's the thing about it: is at the beginning you're you're watching it and you're like, he doesn't look at all. Like, right. He doesn't right. look anything like Hitchcock. But as the movie progresses, yeah, he kind of does. His acting, his mannerisms, yeah. everything else just drives it to this point where you start just kind of it fucks with your mind. You got to give them a little breathing room to get there. I yeah, would say. it's pretty. Yeah, it was. It, it's really kind of remarkable. I thought. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing for another movie I saw recently, Frost Nixon. That was a good movie. 
That's a great movie. And again, at <laughs> first Franchella. you're like, that's, that's, that's hardly looks like Nixon. Mm. And then all of a sudden from side angles, when he's doing his thing, you're like, God damn, he's really making me believe that's Nixon. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really and cool. the guy who played David Frost, I forget his name. He's in 30 Rock a lot. But anyway, um, yeah. So it's like, I could go the rest of my life and never see this movie again. Yeah. Certainly. But, uh, I went the first half. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't unhappy with it. Um, it just did what it did. Uh, Mr. Scaffington to me was one I probably will see again at some point. Yeah. Secretly. Definitely a much better movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On my computer under the blankets where Look. no one can see me. Oh, wow. I mean, he's hot, but come on. <laughs> come on, baby. Um, go back to me, Joey. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, it's good to have you. By the way, this is a rare socially distanced live event, as you can maybe tell. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, by the sweat you hear coming off of it. <laughs> We're outdoors in the sweet, sweet Fresno summer. Oof. And, uh, During the hottest week of the year. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's pretty Oh, dry. yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. everything is 109 this week, minimum. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. Well, great. Uh, I don't... I'm imagining situationally you don't have anything to promote, or do you? Uh, no, nothing really to promote. Go check out my website if you really want to look at like. This is the best, man. That's life. kind of what this podcast is. All <laughs> That's about. right. It's all about because it's like we get nothing out of it except a chance to visit and talk about shitty old movies or good ones in some cases. All right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, but yeah, drop you know us a what? line if you have got a question or something. I'm going to plug something. I've become oh, a recent. Oh, let's. Uh, well, let me just plug it. Polaris. It is, uh, check it out. It is um, uh, an organization that helps. Uh, God, I'm not saying this very well. It addresses uh, slavery, essentially. Oh, okay. Which is still very prevalent in the world, weirdly. Right. Sure. Uh, so, anyway, um, check it out, Polaris. All right. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a spy novel. I know. The, the name is, maybe it's intended to be that way, but it's sort of like, yeah, it does sound like a, a, some sort of sci fi book written in 1967. It's like Polaris. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Go check out Polaris, folks. Check out Polaris. All right, Tommy. Love you, buddy. Likewise, man. All right. Bye. Bye.